It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Sometimes when Kelly Rudy is on the show, I like to start the segment by playing a highlight from his career. Maybe a save. Maybe he got into an altercation. We even had a highlight once where a Brett Hall slap shot hit him in the family jewels, and that shook him up. We've have the. Rudy on duty uh, song on vinyl back at the station. It's in Halsey's office on his record player, but sometimes we pull it off Halsey's record player and we'll put that as an intro. So today I'm thinking, what can we talk to, to Kelly Rudy about? And he played for the Indianapolis checkers of the old CHL. And I thought, Oh, this is great. We'll get a highlight and we'll play that. And that'll really surprise Kelly when we bring him on. So I Googled, Kelly Rudy, Indianapolis Checkers. And then I hit on the video tab on Google and uh, nothing comes up. So, Kelly, there is absolutely no evidence that you ever played for the Indianapolis Checkers, except for, of course, the lines on HockeyDB and the stories that you're going to regale us with now. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. First of all, I just want to, before we get to my days in Indy, because I absolutely have some remarkable uh, memories and good times from uh, that time of my life, but I heard on Calgary Radio today that you're you're reading a book. How's that going? <laughs> oh, you were listening to that, were you? Well, <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed all My buddy Pat Steinberg, who basically is the equivalent of my job, on uh, on that station and for Flames broadcasts. Uh, he, he had me on and asked me how I'm doing off the top. So I said I've been pulling some books off the shelf that I've wanted to read for many years. And I said I'm currently in this reading this story about this bear that lives in these woods and he's got a little piglet for a friend and they have a tiger for a friend who's kind of weird because he hops around on the tail. But he's, the tiger's kind of their friend, but he annoys them at the same time. And there's a marsupial and their daughter that are involved in the story as well. So that's, that's the book that I, I told Pat I was reading on Calgary Radio today. And you had, like, what, 10 more pages? Or is it going to take you, like, a week or two yeah, or something? I, I said 10 pages probably take me a week and a half, but some of the yeah. pages are just pictures, so I might be able to finish by the end of the week, hopefully. Oh, my gosh. My <laughs> wife and I were killing ourselves in the car laughing. That was awesome. But anyway, well, let's go back. Yeah, let's go back to our days in Indy. And when you were telling the story about you're going to search for videos, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I don't think there's anything around. And then I was kind of hoping that you were going to find something. Then later tonight, I was going to try and watch some of that because I go back to my time in Indy and uh, we were the farm team for the New York Islanders. They were about uh, six to 10 teams in that league at any given time. And uh, we were kind of the spoiled guys in the minors because if you went, if you were on a team that their affiliate was in the American Hockey League, basically you're busing everywhere. And I did that for three years in the Western Hockey League. So I was really happy to find out in the Central League, we flew almost everywhere other than when we went to Cincinnati because I was like a two-hour car ride or or maybe from uh, Dallas to go to uh, 
where uh, Oklahoma City, we drove that, and that was a little longer drive. But So Fred Creighton was our coach down there. And I got to tell you, Fred was unbelievable. His wife, Elaine, so we're just our first year out of junior, right? So Monty Trache, Brian Trache is one of his uh, younger brothers. He and I, Monty and I are roommates. And every Monday, because um, we usually played Friday, Saturday, Sunday, because you're trying to get to bums and seats, right, in the minors. It's not the easiest thing. So not often did we, we have weekday games. So Monday, we'd always have a day off or an optional practice. But that night, Fred and Elaine uh, would invite Monty and I over. And uh, Fred would sit down with Monty and I for, depends on the weekend that we had, 45 minutes or two hours and watch this really crude video of the weekend games. I think it was next to impossible to see yourself, but Fred was anyways kind enough to invest in Monty and I. But you know what I love so much about it, Reed? After every single video session on Monday, Fred and Elaine would take us out for pizza and we'd just talk about life and, you know, hockey and all. And, you know, it was just the most magical time. Can you imagine, you know, Monty and I, both from Western Canada, we're sitting in a pizza joint in Indianapolis. We're both 19 years old. Fred Creighton had a wonderful career as an NHL coach. He and his wife were taking the time to really get to know us. And, and you know, Fred really dug deep. So I, I didn't know really how to take him at first. He's a little bit old school. So one of our early trips on the plane somewhere, and back in the day when it didn't seem like planes were all that busy, you know, sometimes you could get your, the whole road to yourself. And uh, so that was the case in this uh, one flight. I don't know where we're going. It doesn't matter. And I see Fred kind of making his way to me, and I can see we're making eye contact. And I think, oh, wow, this is kind of nice. My first year in the minors, my coach is coming towards me. Sure, he's going to sit beside me and get to know me a little bit. He sits down, and he looks right at me and goes, have you always been this inconsistent? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm thinking message sent and message received. Number one thing I have to work on is my consistency. But I'll tell you what, because of the way that Fred coached us, we had a really good team, by the way. We were a little bit older than a lot of the other teams. But we ended up winning the championship uh, both years down there. And, uh, oh, my gosh, some of my teammates, some of the cities, that we went through just uh you know just nothing but the best and i wasn't ready for the nhl i needed to go to the minors you know i think had i been in an organization where they would have given me a chance as a youngster it might have ruined me because i just wasn't quite ready i needed uh two years in the minors although my my boss when i made the islanders bill tory said in my second year he thought i looked bored and that i needed a bigger <laughs> challenge so I took that as a real compliment, but uh, yeah, I mean, Indianapolis was a great city. Reed, we played in the state fairgrounds, so it was a pretty old building, as you can imagine, you know, state fairgrounds, And but we were such a good team. The city was rocking. Like, they were coming out to our games. We were getting usually about 8,000 people in the seats. Uh, I mean, that's packed, right? And, and then sometimes in the playoffs, when they tried to get more of a gate, we'd go to Market Square Arena downtown, and we'd get more people, but it lacked the atmosphere because when a, a building with 8,000 is just jam-packed, it was just magical. Honestly, it was fantastic. 
Fred Creighton, who passed away in 2011 at the age of 81, coached uh, the Atlanta Flames and uh, briefly the Boston Bruins in the National Hockey League. That's the, that is an <laughs> incredible story. Have you always been – did you answer him or did you just kind of let him keep talking? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I answered him, but I think I, I knew what I, I needed to work on, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, it's funny, Fred, when Fred left – Indianapolis. I'm not sure they've got another coaching job, but he was really smart. He was saving a whole bunch of money when he was an NHL coach and in the minors and stuff. And he and his wife, Elaine, they moved to Sacramento and they bought a whole bunch of some pizza joint. I can't remember which one. I think one. it was Little Caesars. Which was it? I think it was Little Caesars. Yeah, like he had a ton of them. Like he was rolling in the dough. And it was kind of nice because when I was playing in L.A., we sort of reconnected, and uh, Fred and Elaine would come to every uh, uh, game every once in a while and would visit after the game. It was just really nice to uh, keep that relationship going. So what was the style of hockey like in, in the minors in, in the early 80s? I mean, you, you played in an era in the Western Hockey League where mm-hmm. it could just be um, you know, a boxing match, several boxing matches every night. Yeah. What was it like now you're playing in a pro level, but granted in an era where th- there was a lot more fighting and things could potentially get a lot wilder? Yeah, I don't remember it being nearly as rugged as junior, though. Like, it was, it was pretty skilled hockey. And uh, we had some guys in our team that had played in the National Hockey League from time to time. And we, we did have a really uh, tough team, though. Like, we had Frank never beaten, and uh, we had a guy by the name of John Marks that had spent – 10 or 12 years, a uh, pretty rugged player with the Chicago Blackhawks. And we had a few other guys like that. But we were uh, a focused team, more on skill. And as you can imagine, the Islanders were a skilled team too. So they really had the philosophy that you had to be pretty rugged, but you had to have some sort of skill set. Uh, a, a guy that uh, you guys in Edmonton would be really familiar with, Scott Housen played on our team. And man alive, did he have hockey sense. He just... Wasn't quite a good enough skater, but uh, everywhere he went, he was up there in uh, in terms of leading the league in scoring and just a, another really, really bright guy that I really like to pick his brain often after games. And and I knew at some point if hockey didn't work out, he was going to be pretty successful because, like I said, he was a really bright guy and he ended up going to get his law degree and now he's going to be running the American Hockey League. But, you know, you meet a lot of really cool guys that they're – they're trying so hard to get there, and you see the determination. It really pushes you to try to be better yourself. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports, remembering his couple of seasons in the Central Hockey League with the Indianapolis Checkers before he jumped into the NHL with the New York Islanders. Monty Trotche, I mean, there Brian Trotche, and I was pretty young when he was in his prime. But he still contributed to, to Pittsburgh in the early 90s when, when they won a couple of cups. And, I mean, a lot of people thought, correct me if I misremember this, but I think a lot of people that era thought Trotche might have been the best all-round forward in the game. I mean, he didn't get the points yeah. as Gretzky did, but certainly that's what he was awfully complimented for. So being the younger brother of that guy, I mean, that would be kind of like being Jonathan Tave's younger brother, right? <laughs> like, like, what was Monty like? Yeah, he was, Monty could skate. Like, he really had great wheels. Uh, good hard shot. Um, he wasn't the biggest guy. He was kind of like Brian. Uh, not not a giant for by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not sure what Monty lacked, but he never quite made it. Maybe a, 
maybe a real genuine scoring touch, but uh, nonetheless, man alive, he came to play every single night and maybe one of the funniest guys I've ever played with. And like his brother Brian, he uh, loved playing guitar. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to an event where Brian Trache's at, but inevitably the guitar comes out and he's a pretty good singer as well. So, yeah, Monty, uh, Monty and I kept that friendship going for a long, long time and uh, uh, just loved him. And uh, he was such a great uh, roommate. Just looking through some of the players you played with, uh, Gord Deneen, yep. uh, Darcy Regeer, uh, Greg yep. Gilbert, and, and the other goaltender, I don't actually know much about this gentleman. He he did get into some, into some NHL games uh, with Pittsburgh in the late 70s and early 80s, and that was Robert Holland. Uh, yep. But he, w- he would have been in the NHL with the Penguins before he joined you with the Indianapolis Checkers. So was there like a serious competition between you guys to be the, the next goalie to go up to the Islanders, or what was that like with Robert mm. Holland? Yeah, interesting. So Rob Holland was, uh, you know, very, very important in my early development there because I really looked up to him. He was a guy that, as you said, had played in the National Hockey League. Uh, one year in particular with Pittsburgh, he was lights out, and I'm not sure why it kind of went south for him after that, but uh, he was invaluable to me. I'd bounce things off him all the time. I'd watch how he uh, prepared. He never seemed to get rattled in a game, which kind of helped me. And But the, the dynamics of our personal relationship sort of changed in our second year. We, we were, you know, Fred would rotate us for the most part during the regular season, and the first uh, year we were in the playoffs, I played, I think, every single game. I'm not sure if Rob played in a game. He may have. Maybe my memory's not quite uh, there, but I think I played every game. And uh, then the second year, we kind of rotated for the most part, and then I played every single game again in the playoffs. And, and for whatever reason, our relationship became a little bit strained, which I really regretted because I like Rob. But I was pushing hard uh, to get up to the NHL and – I don't know. Maybe I didn't handle it well. I, I don't recall. I was a young kid. Um, but I do know that uh, I, we have spoken since, and uh, whatever happened is done. So I really, uh, really appreciated what he did for me, though, to get me going. So in 83-84, you, you went up to the NHL. You you'd played six games in Indianapolis. You played 12 with the Islanders, but you didn't play a, a ton your yeah. first year in the NHL. But you made it. So were you called up, and, and did you stay? Were you up and down that year? I don't remember, Kelly. No, I uh, I was up full-time until at some point in January or February. And like, as you said, I wasn't playing much. I was backing up a little bit more than than that. But uh, And then the Islanders thought that, uh, how does this story go? Let me just try and put on my thinking cap. So there was, it must have been in around January, because there was... Uh, a lot of conversation about me playing on Canada's Olympic team because that, the games were in Sarajevo in 84. And uh, so the Islanders thought that I should go down to the Miners and get some action before I head over to play for Canada's Olympic team, which I was in agreement with. Having said that, I, I do recall I was past that league. Like, no offense, but uh, I was ready for better competition. <clears throat> Anyways... From what I gather, the U.S. Olympic team, they filed a lawsuit that I couldn't play on Canada's Olympic team. 
So I think the goalie then was uh, Mariel Gosselin. But I was really hoping that I was going to have a chance to play uh, in the Olympics that year, which would have been really, really cool. Well, I, I didn't know they filed a lawsuit to keep you off the team. Jeez. Yeah. See, everybody, he was really good. It's, I'm just <laughs> bugging him when I only give the bad stats. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's uh, they're, well, So, like, now I know of uh, two lawsuits in hockey. Uh, you and the refs in New Jersey and Boston in that one series. <laughs> oh, wow. Right? The Devils got the injunction, so Schoenfeld yep, would coach the... Exactly. Oh, the, yeah. Oh, and the refs wouldn't work. Too, right? <laughs> Uh, well, Kelly, these these were great memories, Matt. Uh, we'll, we'll have to re- revisit this because I, I, I would have liked to get more into just uh, you know life in Indianapolis and you being being out. And I, and I know you were on your own in Medicine Hat, but then that was was another jump too. So we'll have to do part two of this interview sometime down the road, Matt. Thanks for checking in. Okay, pal. Take care. See ya. That is former Indianapolis checker. Kelly Rudy telling us a little bit about his time in the old Central Hockey League before he came uh, became a New York Islander. Kelly joins us every week here at Inside Sports, now an analyst with the NHL on Rogers, and of course, longtime goaltender in the NHL. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chad. It's 722. We're back in a couple of minutes. <laughs> Okay, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Adam Scorgie's going to be on the show a little bit later on. His documentary, Inmate Number One, The Rise of Danny Trejo, has been picked up by Universal, so he'll tell that tale. That's a really good thing for Adam, who made Ice Guardians and Coco, the Grand Fear story. Patrick Donovan from WDA Radio in Tampa will be on the show as well. The Buccaneers in that city have been a huge story over the last few weeks, getting Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski from the New England Patriots. Dr. Dina Hinshaw, Alberta's Chief Medical Officer of Health, was asked today, okay, so what if we wind up playing NHL games in Edmonton and then a player tests positive for COVID-19? I think it's challenging to speculate. Um, and as the Premier has mentioned in the past, when we've been asked about this possibility of, of NHL games, um, that we're open to the possibility, but uh, I'm not aware of any decisions being made on that front. Uh, so what I would say is simply that if there was a positive test in anyone in Alberta, we would treat it the same way that we would treat, again, a, a case anywhere else in Alberta, which is to say public health would be talking to that person who's a confirmed case would be trying to determine who the people were who may have been in contact with them. Uh, The individual who is a confirmed case would need to be isolated for 10 days after the onset of their symptoms or until symptoms resolved, whichever was later. And anyone who was a close contact with that person while they were infectious would need to be in quarantine for 14 days from that point of last exposure. And so again, that's that's how we in public health would treat any case independent of, of wherever it happened and so that's really I think the all I'd be able to comment on at this time so a lot of players could have to be quarantined if one tests positive while they're all playing 
potentially in Edmonton. Don texting in, he says, Reed, here's my prediction. NHL training camps late October, early November. They'll finish the regular season in November, December, have the playoffs January, February into March, and there won't be a 2020-2021 season. What do you think? Don, I, I'm telling you, buddy, there is no way that is going to happen. If, if they're going to cancel a season, they'll cancel the rest of this season. They, they will not lose next year with as many games as possible or a, or a full season. They're, I mean, there's going to be a Stanley Cup, I mean, barring some other unforeseen things with the virus, but but they, they want to do all of next year or almost all of next year, and if they have to sacrifice a season and the Stanley Cup being presented, they'll do it in 2020. They won't do it in 2021. Scott Hartnell from Lloydminster, scheduled to join us on the show tomorrow. My first summer in Lloydminster was the summer Scott got drafted by the Nashville Predators and from the Edmonton Eskimos, Ryan King, scheduled to join us tomorrow night as well. Going to be another fun show. We are with you from 7 to 8 every night here on 630 Ched. I I have had some people say, uh, Reed, how come your show isn't on anymore? It is on. We just... Have an hour now from 6 to 7 is Global News Hour at 6. It's a simulcast of the television news because we do want to keep you as updated as uh, as we possibly can on the pandemic and what's going on in Alberta and around the world. So the what usually would be the first hour of the show is uh, now the Global Television News. Inside Sports is still on from 7 to 8. It is a temporary adjustment in the time and we'll uh, keep moving forward and uh, and keep bringing you the best show possible and we've been wanting to get someone on from this market for uh, the last couple of weeks and we finally clicked with pat donovan today from wdae radio in tampa all sports radio station there pat you're on with reed up in edmonton alberta how are you doing sir hey it's great to be with you how are you tonight i'm doing awesome thank you so much for for checking in now i got to clarify um, is do you, are you Tampa Sports Radio? Are you are you Tampa Bay Sports Radio? Because as I'm often reminded from people in that area, even though all the teams are named Tampa Bay, there is no city called Tampa Bay, right? That's right. Yeah, the city is Tampa. Uh, obviously, the, the the town has been uh, pretty excited about Tom Brady. But yeah, it's, it's a Tampa Bay. Tampa is the city, but Tampa Bay is the region. And uh, I, I never really understood the difference between before I got here. It's kind of funny because there's a little bit of a divide between Tampa and St. Pete. But at the end of the day, the region is very happy to have Tom Brady, regardless of what side of the bridge you're on. Well, it's I mean, this is a, a huge story. And I, I mean, look, we're we're living in a time now where there's pretty much one lead story every day. And it's been that way for a couple of months and it's probably going to continue. But Tom Brady actually changing teams is like that's that's massive. The best NFL player of all time leaving uh, leaving New England. And, and it seemed like when the momentum started that he was probably going to leave. It, it didn't seem – you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong because, you know, you're obviously in an NFL market and I'm not, but it didn't seem like Tampa Bay 
had a lot of momentum or a lot of mentions at first as, as a possible destination. What's your, your view of how it played out? You remember that that was some of the reporting, right? It was like, well, don't 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 say I'm crazy. And I think it was um, uh, not Daniel Jeremiah, but Jeff, Jeff Darlington who first said, "Don't call me crazy, but don't discount the Buccaneers." Well, <laughs> Jeff Darlington clearly wasn't crazy because not only did we not have to discount the Buccaneers, but it ended up being the Buccaneers that Tom Brady went to. And listen, uh, when when the, when the rumors first started. I told anyone who would listen, Tom Brady is going to be back in New England, and James Winston will be back with the Buccaneers. I was certain of that, and you couldn't have convinced me that Tom Brady would forget about leaving New England and be in Tampa Bay at all. And the fact that he not only chose to lose New- to leave New England but to join the Buccaneers, that uh, shocked a lot of people, and certainly it shocked me. What do you think ultimately put the Bucks over the top that they were his choice? I think it's probably the weapons. I think it's the idea that, uh, you know, this is perhaps the most talented, at least offensively, uh, team that Tom Brady's ever been on, potentially. You know, to have uh, Chris Godwin, who is turning into the player that he's in, and obviously Mike Evans, who is, I think, recognized as one of the best receivers in all of football. And Chris Godwin, in some ways, it's even better than Mike. So this is a team that has weapons that Tom Brady really has never had. We talked about the number of weapons. And at the end of the day, I think that's something that had to intrigue Tom Brady. I think while it's going to be really undiscussed a lot, I think there's part of Tom Brady that looks at this offense, that, and you know this, this is a downfield passing offense. This is an aggressive offense. And I think Tom Brady would like to show some people, I don't think it's the main factor, right? But I think he'd like to show some people, look, I don't have to be a dink and dunk guy. I can make things happen downfield too. And I think he's excited to show that. Okay, so on your radio station, the what were the forty eight hours after the signing like? Like was there any was there any I gotta ask this, was there any negative Nelly text or phone call? Oh, he's past his prime, he's nothing without Belichick. Like I just wondered if you always had that one listener, right, that was that was gonna rain on the parade. Oh, there's always one, right? There's, all, <laughs> there's always one. And it's funny because actually just today we were discussing it a little bit. And I don't remember exactly where the discussion was, but it certainly wasn't overall the, the direction of this football team. And, and somebody texted in and said, this team reminds me of the hit show. And for those outside of Tampa, the hit show was the – Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time, trying to become relevant for the first time, and and, and bringing up names like Jose Canseco to do so. And that team wasn't very successful. And even though today's Tampa Bay Rays teams in recent years have been very successful, it hasn't become because of the name or names like a player like Jose Canseco, like some of the players that they brought in years ago, the Dante Bichette who, you know, kind of had a name in Major League Baseball, really weren't productive, at least for this for this baseball team here in Tampa Bay. But the Rays have done it in recent years without big-time names. But in, in if you think about it, in ways that have changed the game of baseball, and who would have thought that the team with a payroll as low as the Rays typically has been in a division against teams like the Red Sox and the Yankees would really impact the game of baseball the way that this team has. They haven't won at all, right? They haven't pulled that World Series championship out of their butt. But they've changed the game of baseball. They really have. 
All right, so Brady's going, and then Gronk follows. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's just incredible. Now, but what what are the concerns, if any, you you have about Gronk? I mean, he obviously didn't play last year, and you wonder if he's partying or uh, doing WWE or whatever a little too much. <laughs> Yeah. Well, look, if you expect Rob Gronkowski to be in the prime of his career you know, at the stage of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think you know people are, are naive if that's what their expectations are. But what's good for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and for this offense for Tom Brady is not only do they have one pretty good tight end behind now Rob Gronkowski, but they get a pair of them with O.J. Howard and Cam Bray. And O.J. is an unbelievable athlete who kind of hasn't put it all together at this level yet, but you look at him and you go, if he does, if he becomes a little more consistent and he holds on to the football, this is a kid that has an opportunity to be special because of his athletic ability. And then Cam Brace, a guy that he doesn't have that athletic ability. He doesn't have that special just by because of what my body looks like ability, right? <laughs> but he, he's a guy who has been productive since he's been with the football team and has always been a guy that Jameis Winston knew when it comes down to it, I know where that's gonna be, that guy's going to be and he's going to make the play and now Tom Brady's going to have that opportunity as well. But again, he's just one of three guys at that position which is so deep and then when you think about what they have at wide receiver, uh, Tom Brady's got all the weapons he needs and all he has to be is consistent and efficient. And we know that's what he spent his entire career. Pat Donovan joining us from WDAE Radio in Tampa. We're talking a little bit about the Buccaneers. I want to talk to you about the other football team in the in the other league that unfortunately uh, got halfway through their first season and then the pandemic hit. The Vipers of uh-huh. the XFL. And weren't you doing some public address work for them? I was. Uh, yeah, I was the public address announcer here at Raymond James Stadium for the Tampa Bay Vipers. And it was a lot of fun. It was something that uh, honestly was not necessarily in my wheel my wheelhouse. Even though I'm a sports talk radio host, I've done some public address work, but very little. I actually filled in for the Tampa Bay Lightning last season, and even though I've covered the Lightning for years and I know the team well, um, I hadn't done a lot of public address work. And when Alex Kalorn scored the first goal of the game, I very excitedly let the entire arena know that number 17, Nikita Kucherov, scored that goal, which again, <laughs> and number 17 is Alex Kalorn. So it wasn't exactly the best night of my life, uh, being public address announcer for the Tampa Bay Lightning, filling in for the great Paul Porter, who does uh, public address work for the Orlando Magic and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So when I did it for the Tampa Bay Vipers, it was very much something that uh, I wasn't super experienced in and had some uh, failures in, right? So to do it again and to do it kind of well was exciting. And then we get a couple of games in, the season was over. It was, it was a bit of a disappointment for sure. Well, I'll tell you what, Kucherov was in on pretty much every goal the Lightning scored last season and a lot <laughs> this year as well. So you could be excused for making that mistake. I wanted to ask you about that. I, I mean, I view the Lightning as... Uh, well, I mean, they've been a very successful franchise. They, they certainly get more fan support than, than the team on the other side of the state, uh, the Panthers. But, I mean, we, we talked about the Buccaneers. Where, where do the Lightning sort of fit into the sports landscape there? And are hockey fans sitting there thinking, like, seriously, the Lightning are primed to make another run at it and the season gets put on pause? Well, Tampa Bay sports fans kind of feel like that in general, right? Like, I don't know how many times I've heard the phrase or, or you know, the, the thought from Buccaneer fans that 
wouldn't it be so Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go get the greatest quarterback of all time and then not be able to play? <laughs> That's kind of, you know, it's the same thing with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Of course, there's some other really good teams in hockey, but this is a team that for years now has been one of the better teams in hockey and has a real opportunity to win. And I think they showed that this year with, you know, a really veteran group. They brought in uh, more veterans this offseason, and I think that they were really pushing towards trying to lift the Stanley Cup. And, you know, this is a city and a fan base that, whether you're talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning and an ownership group that just wasn't very good until Jeffrey Vinnick bought the team and some real weird stuff kind of going on around this franchise that has kind of been through some things in a raised fan base that, you know, even though over the last 10 years, when it comes to Major League Baseball, they've had a ton of success hasn't found a way to get over the top and lift that that you know that World Series title and obviously a raise uh, I'm sorry a Buccaneer fan base that really since I've been in Tampa hasn't been very good they've been in the playoffs once and it was a team with Jeff Garcia and and John Gruden on his way out and despite the fact that they were in the playoffs zero optimism around that franchise so all of a sudden you know you look at it this really has an opportunity if not for this damn pandemic to be a golden age in Tampa Bay sports because while the Lightning have hoisted a Stanley Cup and the Buccaneers have won uh, the Super Bowl, this, this this area has never seen all three of these franchise, franchises being a better team, a, a better position at one time. Well, uh, someday we're going to have to see how many uh – crossovers with the Canadian Football League you've had in your career because Mark Trespin coached the Vipers and Jeff Garcia was, was one of the all-time greats. Uh, unfortunately, he played down the highway for a team that's not very popular in Edmonton, but he was in the CFL, but he did pretty good in the NFL as well. Pat, thanks for uh, checking in with us tonight. Uh, fun to have you on here long distance from Tampa. And uh, the, the NFL is hopeful, right? Is it Thursday they're going to come out with the schedule? That's right, yeah. Thursday they're coming out with the schedule and obviously – they have some contingency plans if something happens where the season just can't happen in its entirety or if it has to start late. I know that one of those contingency plans is starting the season as late as five weeks after when we're expecting it to start. But the schedule that will come out on Thursday is a complete 17-week, 16-game schedule, and they do. They hope to be able to play that in its entirety now, obviously, Part of that will likely mean without any fans in the building, and some of that might mean without a lot of fans in the building, and it may never mean to capacity, but they hope to play the season in its entirety. And I think for a lot of sports fans, that's really enough. Well, Pat, I've I've heard some rumors the NFL gets pretty good television ratings, so I imagine they'll be okay one way or the other. Thanks for checking in, man. Anytime, guys. Have a great night. Pat Donovan from Tampa Bay Sports Radio, WDAE. They are excited about Brady, excited about Gronk, and as he talked about, the Lightning get a lot of support there as well, and they were they were really rolling when the NHL went on pause. We'll check in with Adam Scorgi when we get back. It is always a pleasure to have this gentleman on the show. He calls himself a creative hustler. 
He is a hardworking man. He is the producer of several awesome films, including Ice Guardians and Coco, the Grand Fuhrer story. And uh, one of his latest projects is, uh, well, it was already pretty big, and it's got the opportunity here to get any bigger. And we're going to talk about that with Adam Scorgi. Adam, good to have you back on Inside Sports. How's life? Uh, life is uh, definitely different, but uh, uh, after the excitement today, it's still going really good. All right, so the the movie is Inmate Number One: The Rise of Danny Trejo, and you and I have talked about this before. And, and if for some reason the name Danny Trejo T R E J O doesn't ring a bell with people, or if they're driving around, Google it when you get home. You'll see the face, and you'll instantly know who I'm talking about. Tell us uh, the significant news here involving Inmate Number One. So Inmates trailer dropped today, and I know a lot of people are like, what? well, the people that had seen it, it's been on Super Channel for like seven to eight months, but the trailer released today, uh, and it was released by uh, Universal. So we're still, we've been waiting to announce this news because it's really, really rare for a documentary to land a deal um, with a company like that. Uh, and I'm still, there's only so much I can say because we have to sign this big like PR thing because as they're releasing, and it's going to release pretty much everywhere come July 7th. It'll be available on all platforms and stuff around the world. So it was pretty cool today to wake up to my phone blowing up because um, Danny Trejo treated, uh, or tweeted and posted out the trailer and it went everywhere. All of a sudden my phone was just going ding, 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 ding. I guess I felt what like Connor McDavid or like the big athletes have that have hundreds <laughs> of thousands of followers feel like because my phone was just going off and my battery was dead by 10 a.m. Well, that's amazing. So how, how does this break down with, with Universal? Like, are you, is it almost like a job interview for, for, for you that you got to get your product out there and, and, and sell yeah, well, it? Like, I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, product has to speak for itself, right? Like, if, you, if it, you're going out there to distributors now and this fits and uh, people like, you know, if you're going to a distributor and they're like, yep, this would hit our demographic and we know we can sell and it does well then they'll pick it up. That's what you go to festivals and you do these premieres and you try to self-promote to try to get a deal like this. And it really is like a you know, a deal of a lifetime, something that we just were, you know, you, you pray that you get something like this and it, it, it actually happens. So it feels great to be, you know, an Edmonton filmmaker to, you know, land a deal like this and, and really say that you got a studio deal. Is, is it possible to quantify how many more eyeballs it's going to be available to now? Well, I'll put it to you this way. It's like what I said on my Facebook. So when Universal's been around for over 100 years, 106 years to be exact, and in that time they've only ever been involved with acquisitions or releasing 70 documentaries, and we're one of them. And some of the other documentaries they've wrapped are like Three Identical Strangers, Blackfish, um, Would Would You Be My Neighbor, like Justin Bieber's documentary, Muhammad Ali's documentary. So it is a pretty, pretty upper echelon, uh, you know, a group of people that uh, my team and I are now with. Uh, that, that's incredible. Uh, Adam Scorgi joining us, producer, inmate number one, the rise of Danny Trejo. So I, I, was, I was talking with Jay Lynn at the, uh, on her show today, and I, I personally think, and I, I, I'm glad I get to ask you this because you are like literally the expert when it comes to documentary filmmaking, but I think in the last five years or so, there is – increased appreciation and increased increased consumption of documentaries and i think that is largely because of streaming services am i on or off the mark here i think you guys are 100 percent on the mark because they've never been easier to consume and people are now seeing 
like everything, with technology comes a great advance that way more people are able to get content out there. But with that, there's a lot of garbage out there nowadays, right? That just is, you know, whether it's reality TV shows or cheap movies. I don't know how many movies I've been duped into that I see so-and-so, so-and-so. I'm like, oh, man, how bad can this be? And 10 minutes in, I'm like, this is horrible. <laughs> Next, like, where a lot of the times a documentary, even if the execution of the production isn't perfect because they're indie guys, it's a true story about something. So if you're into that genre, it'll find the niche and streaming services are now based on analytics where if you watch other like stuff, it'll find you, right? Like Netflix will say, hey, you like those things, you'll like this. So you're able to find, you know, niche documentaries that really fit what you want to see anyway. And even if the execution isn't perfect, you still will enjoy it because it's a true story. Okay, Adam, I mean, obviously, as you know, my show is a little shorter and we can't, you, often we have you in studio, so when things are yeah. more normal, we're going to yeah. have to bring you in for like an hour or so because people always have questions. But quickly before we go, we're we're in the final ninety seconds or so. Danny yeah. Trejo, I mean, an incredible story, but from a sports angle, like an incredibly athletic guy and fit guy, is he not? Yeah, he actually was the welterweight champion of San Quentin and Soledad uh, back when the when they used to allow inmates to train. He was a very very experienced boxer. And that's how he got into the movie industry. When you watch the doc, is that he actually was hired to train Eric Roberts on Runaway Train because Eric Roberts plays a, a boxing character, and he has to. And then Danny just had such a great look and a great image that they're like, actually, we're just going to make you the bad guy that he fights in the ring. Uh, so yeah, he's an excellent athlete. I mean, guy's seventy five years old, and when he takes his shirt off now, he still looks good. I hope I look half that good when I'm seventy five. <laughs> Adam, thanks for checking in, man. Uh, you're doing such great work, and uh, congratulations, inmate number one, being picked up by Universal. We'll talk to you again soon, buddy. For, for my thing. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, if, if you haven't seen that on Super Channel, give it a Google, inmate number one, The Rise of Danny Trejo, and uh, you can check out the trailer. That was Adam Scorgi, the producer of the film. Thanks to Dave Campbell, the producer of Inside Sports, Kellen Kennedy, the studio producer. Thank you very much for listening. We're back tomorrow with Scott Hartnell and Ryan King. Have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.